0: <laughs> the, 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 the
1: boogeyman, who's the
0: boogeyman, the boogeyman. the
2: boogeyman, the Welcome to Micro, a podcast for short but powerful writing. I'm your host, Drew Hawkins. Plastic fangs, German emperors, ghost stories, and of course, serial killers. You guessed it, our Back from the Dead special is here. We join forces with the assortment of sentient skulls that is the lit journal Hobart After Dark, also known as HAD. For this episode, we decided to reanimate a few spooky pieces originally published in journals that have since gone on to the other side. And though these pieces have been reinterred in the HAD boneyard, we pay our respects to the literary ghosts that haunt us. In the spirit of Halloween, this first piece lives in the space between horror and desire, Originally published in The Mondegreen, it's called The Creature from the Black Lagoon and Other Things I Wish My Boyfriend Would Call Me During Sex. It was written by Megan Phillips and resurrected by Had on October 25th, 2021. Enjoy!
3: I wanted him to be afraid of how much he wants me, so I filled up the bathtub with cold water, iced myself pale, stuck grass clippings and leaves to my still damp skin, put on the flippers and goggles from our trip to the Caymans, texted him to meet me by our condo's pool. I bought a tuxedo shirt and a high-necked cape, snapped plastic fangs over my canines, painted my lips blood red and slicked back my hair, made him throw out all the garlic, and hide his mother's crucifix, hid until the sun set in a refrigerator box that I'd found by the dumpster. Once we tried the creation scene from Frankenstein, but it got too confusing. He kept calling me Frankenstein, even though he was the doctor and I was the monster. The first time we made love, he called me honey when he came. He hasn't said it since.
2: Megan Phillips is the author of the chapbook Abstinence Only and has stories in Best Microfiction 2019, 2020, and 2021. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at mcarfil or on her website at megan-phillips.com. Our second piece invokes the past and all its lingering consequences. Peeling Back Layers of Time, Blood, and Old News Articles. Originally published in Public Pool, it's called Bloodline. It was written by Zoe contros curl and revived for HAD on October 26, 2021. Enjoy!
1: I am eating at the Matador Room on Miami Beach. Large frame posters of bullfighters hang on the walls. Years ago, my uncle killed a woman in Spain. A news article I found online reads the following. Redacted appeared before the court as the bastard grandson of William II of Prussia, last emperor of Germany. He is, was, the most handsome of the three brothers and had no German blood. On the stand, he said, of holding the knife before killing her. Hice un leve gesto con la muñeca como quien aparta una mosca de la frente. It means, I think. I did a slight gesture to the doll with my wrist, like gently swatting a fly away from the face.
2: Zoe Contros Curl is a writer and editor based in rural Vermont. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Zoe Contros or on her website at ZoeControsCurl.com. Our third piece appeals to Plato, Rotoscopy, and Hangovers. Originally published in Mojave Heart Review. It's called To The Poet Who Summoned Cab Calloway's Ghost and Held His Hand While Revisiting St. James Infirmary. It was written by J.B. Stone, and like Cab Calloway and Max Fleischer's Snow White, raised from the grave for Had on October 27, 2021. Enjoy!
0: to the poet who summoned Cab Calloway's ghost and held his hand while revisiting St. James' Infirmary. After Cab Calloway's infamous appearance in Max Fleischler's 1933 animated short, Snow White, you realize the void you walk into is no longer a cave, right? The same den submerged in permafrost with X-ray prisms illuminating the carved Bases of phantoms. It's been draped over with tarp, drooping, sagging shrouds scarred with cigarillo burns and splayed across piano-key boneyards. The world is the same wasteland you left it as, the same land of tension you thought you'd escape when you tried to venture to the woods and laid your body down like a sponge absorbed into the cold, wet dirt. You sang your somber songs, but your body, topsy turvied its entrails and innards, morphed you into the ghost who hovers over the earth, raising a bottle of booze to a raspy horn, and allows his voice to scat and thump to the rhythm of demise. The demolition of a heartbeat, the world at large a flying Dutchman waiting to become an ancient tragedy. There aren't enough movements to numb the parade of red, white, and blue nationalism. There aren't enough moments of protest to mask the fact that your belief in a world void of war, plague, famine, and corruption is still a fool's wish. And there aren't enough shooting stars and plucked dandelion lashes to make this magic happen. And it's a horror not even a phantom like you wants to confront. You sit here in this regretful pit, transforming your fingers into claws, your feet, your legs, a manifestation of gaseous formation. Your anatomy lets loose a stampede of pale white horses thundering across the scorched earth terrain of your wriggled skin. You frantically mutter, this can't be happening, several times pinching the ectoplasmic shell where your ass used to be. Wondering if this future is just a drunken fever dream with a mid-morning hangover to follow, and not another reality you can't call resting place.
2: JB Stone is a neurodivergent autistic writer, slam poet, editor, and literary critic from Brooklyn, now residing in Buffalo, New York, where they are content with many things he never thought he would be content about. You can find him on Twitter at JB underscore Stone Truth, on Instagram at benjamin_jared, or on his website at jaredbenjaminstone.com. Our fourth piece plays with horror movie character tropes in the same way that the murderer plays with their victims. Originally published in Corium Magazine, it's called Disappointment. It was written by Kendra Fortmeyer and resuscitated for HAD on October 28, 2021. Enjoy!
1: The blonde had dyed her hair red, so the whole thing was a shambles. Nobody knew which order to die in. The black guy went first, that was obvious, but after that, the old woman, the pregnant chick, the ex-marine with a chip on his shoulder and an axe to grind. It was dispiriting for everyone. The killer burst out of the wrong bushes sometimes, forgot his knife sometimes, once having forgotten his shoes. There was a storm that was supposed to come in, but then the wind changed direction, and it blew out east over Kansas. The power that was supposed to flicker off and plunge everyone into darkness flickered once and then back on. It stayed on. It wouldn't quit. It was 2am and every light in the house blazed warm yellow. Instead of being murdered, everyone made burritos. The killer came and sat outside the window and remembered how when he was a young killer, just an anthill stomper really, they would have slumber parties and tell ghost stories. He sat alone in the dark shrubbery and leaned his head up against the siding of the house. Inside, everyone laughed at a joke he hadn't heard. Upstairs, the younger sister made out with the Asian dude, and the blonde-turned-red-head took a shower unmolested. She lathered her bare and glistening skin. She thought, in the morning, I'll have to run to the store. They were all out of milk. They had planned on being dead by now.
2: Kendra Fortmeyer lives and writes in Austin, Texas. You can find her on Twitter at kendraf or on her website at KendraFortmire.com. Our fifth and final piece is a contrapuntal flash, serving horror left to right and top to bottom, straight out of the movie Halloween we highly recommend reading along with this one. Originally published in the Ginger Collect, it's called Glory in the Closet, Michael with the Knife. It was written by Megan Pillow and reawakened for Had on October 29th, 2021. Enjoy.
4: in the closet michael with a knife the children are running away away down the hall past the lamp that glows in the doorway across the floor behind the locked door laurie hears him coming up behind her like the stir and royal of some stumbling darkness so she runs to the closet sliding the door closed the light through the slats leaving a mark that tells the blade where to go She grabs a hanger, like women always have, to protect themselves from the things that will wreck their bodies, their lives. And she reaches it out and presses it into his cheek, feels it give like soil under her fingers. It thrills her. And then the knife is at her feet, in her hands, and centers her rage. And she thrusts it deep into his chest, into what she hopes is his heart. And then he disappears. Only the blade now keeps her company. To the door, the blade before her like a shield, still the air sucks around her with his absence. She drops the knife, stumbles to the hall, and the children, the children are still there somehow, and she tells them to run again. She gets to her feet. She can feel him in the air behind her, and then his hands are wrapping around her neck, and she can feel it, death like a collar but there is a thundering on the stairs and a great bang as Loomis fires the gun once and Michael is downed like a wide-winged hawk shot from the sky. Laurie grips her head as if he ripped it from her. Loomis runs to see, but Michael is still alive and so Loomis shoots again and again and again and again again until Michael finally falls to the ground. Lori is crying. She wants it to be over, but she knows the boogeyman will come back to find her because they always do. Because monsters like this one, once they have the scent of your blood in their nose, will never stop until they taste it, will never stop until the blood runs out. And he hears them, skittering like beetles across the surface of his brain. He raises the knife like a lantern. It guides him up the stairs. He sees her run into a room, towards some faint safety, but only the blade can keep her safe. It points its way to her skin, and he follows. The blade slips into the sliver of space in the closet slat, a knife between a rib. It's still so far away. The crack of the slat as it gives way, a rotten tooth, and the light, the light, the light swings like a circling sun over the blank white planet of his face, and the pop and flare of pain, the gush of blood like the venting of some geyser that fills up, dark with noise and heat, and he feels the itch at the center of him, the scratch of fury now leaching into his veins. How could she betray him? How could she deliver the itch when she knows that it is his gift to give her, his to circle around her throat like a chain, like his hands when his hands won't do? The floor is beneath him. He takes that itch and uses it to rise, to pull his leaking body to his feet to walk across the room with plodding steps behind her, each one the twitch of the blade, and his hands are not as sharp, but they are stronger. And he can feel her fluttering beneath his hands like a sparrow, and he will down her. But then the dart and sting in his chest, and a great ocean of pain rises in him. But he will not fall, he will not break his focus, and so he retreats to the dark of a room, and he waits sees Loomis enter, then the rattle of metal again filling his chest, and he falls back through the door, the porch, the rail, the air, and the earth claims him like he's planted there. But he will not stay. He uproots himself. He is again rising, again on the move, again looking for the way he can come around to see her, feel her, be close to her somehow, because she doesn't understand yet, but he will show her that this is how he loves her. This is how he always will love her. Laurie in the Closet, Michael with the Knife The children are running, away, away, and he hears them, skittering like beetles down the hall, past the lamp that glows across the surface of his brain. He raises in the doorway, across the floor, behind the knife like a lantern. It guides him up the locked door, Lori hears him coming up the stairs. He sees her run into her room, behind her, like the stir and royal towards some faint safety. But only the blade of some stumbling darkness, so she runs, can keep her safe. It points its way to the closet, sliding the door closed, to her skin, and he follows. The blade slips into the light through the slats, leaving a mark, the sliver of space in the closet slat, that tells the blade where to go. She grabs a knife between a rib. It's still so far away. A hanger like women always have. To protect the crack of the slat as it gives way. Themselves from the things that will wreck a rotten tooth. And the light, the light, their bodies, their lives. And she reaches it out. The light swings like a circling sun and presses it into his cheek. Feels it give over the blank white planet of his face. And like soil under her fingers. It thrills her the pop and flare of pain, the gush of blood, and then the knife is at her feet, in her hands, like the venting of some geyser that fills up and centers her rage, and she thrusts it, dark with noise and heat, and he feels the itch deep into his chest, into what she hopes is at the center of him, the scratch of his heart, and then he disappears, only the fury now leaching into his veins. How could she? Blade now keeps her company. To betray him, how could she deliver the itch, the door, the blade before her like a shield, when she knows that is his to gift her, his to, still the air sucks around her, with his circle around her throat like a chain, like his absence? She drops the knife, stumbles to hands when his hands won't do. The floor is the hall, and the children, the children are beneath him. He takes that itch and uses it to still there somehow— And she tells them to rise, to pull his leaking body to its feet, to run again. She gets to her feet. She can walk across the room with plodding steps, feel the air behind her, and then behind her, each one the twitch of the blade, his hands are wrapping around her neck, and his hands are not as sharp, but they are, and she can feel it, death, like a collar, stronger. And he can feel her fluttering beneath, but there is a thundering on the stairs, his hand's like a sparrow, and he will down her. And a great bang as Loomis fires the gun, but then the dart and sting in his chest, and once. And Michael is downed like a great ocean of pain rises in him. But he will, a wide-winged hawk shot from the sky. Not fall. He will not break his focus. And so Lori grips her head as if he ripped it. He retreats to the dark of the room, and he waits from her. Loomis runs to see. But Michael sees Loomis enter, and then the rattle of still alive. And so Loomis shoots again, metal again filling his chest, and he falls back again and again and again again, through the door, the porch, the rail, the air, and until Michael finally falls to the ground. The earth claims him like he's planted there. Laurie is crying. She wants it to be over. But he will not stay. He uproots himself. He is, but she knows the boogeyman will come again rising, again on the move, again looking back to find her, because they always do. For the way he can come around, too. Because monsters like this one, once they see her, feel her, be close to her somehow, have the scent of your blood in their nose, because she doesn't understand yet. But he will never stop until they taste it. will show her that this is how he loves her. will never stop until the blood runs out. This is how he always will love her.
2: Megan Pillow is co-editor of The Audacity, and her work has appeared or is forthcoming in, among other places, in Electric Literature, Smoke Long Quarterly, The Believer, Tri-Quarterly, and Guernica. You can find her on Twitter at MegPillow, on Instagram at MegPillow77, or on her website at MeganPillow.com micro is edited and curated by dylan evers our social media is managed by mm kaufman and the show is produced and hosted by me drew hawkins our theme song for this episode was done by albino ghost monkey special thanks to aaron birch and crow jonah norlander at had as well as everyone who submitted work for this highly specific submission call you can find all the information about this episode's writers their featured work and the publications where they were published as well as a transcription of this episode in the show notes Find more of our shows wherever you listen to podcasts or check out our website at micropodcast.org and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Podcast Micro. Thanks for listening and happy Halloween.